Amen. Hey, that's right, Bobby. You got it right. We are in our study with rural religions, cults, and the occult. Number seven, we are on the topic of Roman Catholicism again. Now, by way of recap, as we've been seeing, uh, Roman Catholicism, not uh, just my opinion, these are just with the facts. They are a pseudo-Christian group. What pseudo mean? That's that song by Phil Collins, Susu Studio, or whatever that was. No, I don't know what that song even was. But anyway, the pseudo is, means fake false. They're a fake false Christian group. They're not the same thing. Hello. And they also fall in the category of a cult, not once but twice. Secular definition and, of course, the biblical definition. Either way, it's not good news. Then we've been seeing the last couple of weeks, they are demonic or devilish. Why? Because they're fulfilling the same thing that Jesus said, Satan, your father, the devil, would do. You don't just disagree with the truth. You want to kill those who disagree with you because you're sharing the truth. Okay, they're not sharing the truth. You are, and they want to get rid of you. Now, well, how are they doing that? That's a pretty strong statement to say they're demonic, they're devil. Well, because of the inquisitions we saw there, uh, and which, by the way, are still in effect today. They just changed the terminology on you and I. Then last time, if you were here, we saw that, well, where in the world is all of this leading to? Well, it's leading to Revelation uh, chapter 17, the woman that rides the beast. Now, just a little bit of recap from last week for those of you who may not have been here. We saw that, at least the, my opinion, I see five things in Revelation 17. We read the whole chapter last week. I'm not going to do it again this week. But five things that need to transpire in this woman who rides the beast system uh, with the Antichrist one world government. And we need to, number one, we need to have a religious figure who's drawing together all the world's religions. Number two, you need to have this pluralistic movement, if you will, this ecumenical movement that is actually seducing people to go along with this religious figure to form these one world religions. Number three, you need some sort of a woman figure uh, to uh, represent this world religion system, this harlot. She's a, a female, a mother of prostitutes, a woman that rides the beast, right? Number four, you need an antichrist figure, right? Uh, to, to ride with. And number five, you need a global authority system to punish those who don't disagree. Now, last week, we just got to the first one, okay? You need, in order for Revelation 17 to come to pass, how do we know we're getting close? Those events are going to happen in the seven-year tribulation. We, the church, are not a part of that. We are gone prior to the seven-year tribulation with the rapture of the church. So our point today, even though we're not going to be under that system in its full onslaught in the seven-year tribulation. Our point is this. Well, hey, if that happens during the seven-year tribulation, and we see the events today leading to the fulfillment of that time during the seven-year tribulation, we don't know the date or the hour, but then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior? So that's our lesson point for us. We better get cracking, okay? And we better get uh, busy, okay? Now, the, the religious figure, we saw that. As we saw just in a nutshell, again, by way of recap, who in the world, is there any religious figure right now on the planet who is working their tail off uh, uh, in, as, as an entity uh, who is trying to gather all the world's religions together and specifically be the one who's in charge of them? Yes, it rhymes with the Pope. In fact, it's spelled P-O-P-E for those of you who need to learn how to spell. But the Pope, yeah, in fact, I'll say it again. One guy said, if the Pope is not the false prophet, he's working real hard to get the job. You know what I'm saying? And he's got some headquarters, and those headquarters rhyme with the Vatican. Okay, and, uh, and that's what we said. That's how far we got last time uh, with all the evidences that that is fact. And then we busted it down. This is what I want to go to for, again, those of you. We started to take a look at these aspects of this one world religious system in Revelation 17. And the Bible gives us very interesting characteristics, okay? First of all, this uh, entity commits spiritual fornication. Is that true of Roman Catholicism? The Vatican, the popes. Yes, it is. It's a city on seven hills. Historically, that is, and still to this day, has always been Rome. Where is Vatican located? In Rome. Spiritual Babylon also 
has been, in First Peter we saw, equated with Rome. Again, where is the Vatican? Rome. Also, we saw that she is in bed with the rulers of the world and actually reigns over them. So who's in charge, really? Who do the governments always go to see when they get elected? Even the United States of America. They go to the Pope. Okay, that's, again, uh, dealing with ash. Then we saw the clothing. Uh, that was going on there uh, with the scarlet and purple. What's the garb of the Roman Catholic uh, 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 church today with the bishops in the exact same colors, the scarlet uh, and the purple, uh, as we saw there. Okay, then it goes on and says that uh, the cup, the cup of abomination, certainly with the filth and stuff and spiritual adultery uh, being uh, committed there, but certainly with the cup and the the cup even with, uh, was dealing with the the Eucharist and whatever, uh, if you're saying that the, uh, Jesus Christ is being uh, re-sacrificed over and over again. That's an abomination, certainly. But also the wealth, extremely wealthy, extremely consumeristic. And that's where we kind of left off a little bit last time. And the extreme massive wealth of the Catholic Church is not just stored at the Vatican. It's stored over cathedrals all around the world. I mean, stacked to the ceiling full of stuff that you can't even... You can't even we, there's no way to put a number on the wealth that they have. Literally... And that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, as we saw last week, if you were here, on the amount of wealth that they have. And that's this, I'll just use this word, sickening irony. And here you have the Pope going around saying, we need to help poverty. Sell some stuff, pal. Sell your golden throne. Just open up one of these cathedrals that you got over anywhere in the world and liquidate just one of them. You'll have more than enough money to feed and take care of the poor on the planet. That's how wealthy they are, okay? But we saw then, finally, she'll be drunk with the blood of the saints. And again, as we've been seeing in our study, who has been guilty of more than even pagan Rome in the early church, okay, of spilling the blood of those who followed Jesus Christ, the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Then we even saw Pope Pius XII is where we left off. He was silent about the Jewish Holocaust in World War II. Remember that? Okay? And and then we saw that a bishop uh, in 1936 met with Hitler over there, and Hitler assured the Catholic bishop, quote, that there was no fundamental difference between, listen, national socialism, what party is that? The Nazis. No difference between national socialism, remember this word, socialism, okay, and the Catholic Church. Quote, Hitler reportedly said, I'm only doing what the Catholic Church has done for 1,500 years, only more effectively. And so the question we left off was, well, why in the world has nobody called the Pope the Catholic Church? Uh, certainly on any apologies for the Inquisitions and the murdering, more people than, than the early church with the Roman Empire, more than that combined, still going on uh, to this day. Uh, even in the Holocaust, you kept your mouth shut. Even though the Jewish leadership and the allies encouraged you to speak up, Pope, and put a stop to this. Didn't say a word. Why? Because as we saw, not only uh, Hitler called him on the carpet, we're just doing what you've been doing for centuries, for 1,500 years, only more effectively, right? Plus, when popes do this in these inquisitions, the teaching of the Catholic Church is they are infallible. They don't make mistakes. They're the vicar. They're in place of Christ. They can't make mistakes. Is their belief system. Excuse me? Okay? But so you can't admit you're wrong because then you'd be admitting that you're what? You're fallible, not infallible, okay? So Hitler, for what it was worth, I mean, that's a whole other bag. I don't want to give kudos to him, but... He knew what card he was playing when he made that statement, right? You can't say squat, right? Uh, Crone translation, because you've been doing the same thing for a long time. I'm just taking it to the next level, okay, in a shorter time period, okay? But that's what we saw so far. Now, the second thing that we're going to take a look at tonight is if it's going to happen. So you need a, you need a, a religious figure, 
Okay, number one, if this is going to come to pass, religious figure. Okay, number two, you need, I believe, uh, a pluralistic movement. Okay, a pluralistic movement where uh, it's not just in place, but it's in place, and people are falling for this baloney. It's one thing for the Pope. It's one thing for the Vatican. It's one thing for the Catholic Church to be out there and say, hey, can't we all just get along, and, and we all need to get along, and, and, and oh, by the way, just let us be in charge, and then uh, come on, and we'll all get together, and we'll bring peace to it. It's one thing just to say that. It doesn't mean anybody's going to buy into it. So how do we know we're getting close? Well, we're getting close when it's starting to work, when there's a movement in even the non-Catholic realm in this world of people who are getting swelled up to this. Remember the words that were used in Revelation 17 last week? They were intoxicated. Oh, wow. This is it. We just need, here's the buzzwords that we hear today. Love. We just need to love and tolerate. Isn't that just intoxicating? The world just loves those words. That's all we need. If we want to bring peace and stop the fighting in the world, we just need to love one another and tolerate. Right? It's the spirit of the Beatles all over you. Right? Just love. Right? That's all you got to do. Yes, that's what's happening. It's already in place today. Now, that's what I want to cover tonight. Now, the problem with that, obviously, is guess what the Bible says? Crown translation, don't you dare. Don't you dare go along with this baloney. Because there's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. How many times have we quoted that verse? Jesus says he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to follow but by him. You can't go along with this one world religion movement. You can't go along with the Pope and says that we're all basically the same. Just let us be in charge of you. We can't go along with these other ones and say we just blur the lines. Let's start working together and join. You can't. Because those paths, every single one of them, lead straight to hell. Jesus is the only way out of this mess. So how in the world could we work and yoke ourselves with that? Now, see, I didn't say that. God did. Now, that's our first text tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's take a look there. Take a look at what the Bible says about unbelievers. What is our relationship with unbelievers? We certainly need to witness, right? But that's not what's happening today. It's gone beyond witnessing, and forget that. In fact, most of the time, witnessing isn't even taking place. They're just, quote, yoking together on all these nifty projects because we just need to love and tolerate one another. Now you went over the line. If you're a true born-again Christian, you should never, ever do that. God's got strong words for that. But let's take a look at that. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 17. Let's take a look there. If you find 1 Corinthians, what do you do? Hang a right. That's right. And uh, 6, uh, 14 through 17. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. Right? Is the heading that I have there on this passage. And here's what Paul says. All right? So, yoked with unbelievers. So, who's an unbeliever? Just call out a religion. Call out anything other than Christianity. Right? Muslims? Right? Uh, Roman Catholicism? Mormons? Sikhs? Right? Buddhists? New Agers? Wiccans? Right? Satanists? What you, right? Unbelievers. Now, now, we need to reach them for Christ. But notice the word is yoke. He didn't say don't witness and don't hang. Because somebody's got to witness to them. But the key word here is yoke. Don't get to that point where now you're yoking. Okay, I'm not yoking about that, Bobby. Don't yoke. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. All right, that's fresh bread. Uh, do not be yoked together with who? Unbelievers, fill in the blank. Anybody who's not a Christian. Why? Well, for what, Paul says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What, what, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God, okay, uh, the temple of God and uh, the idols? For we, he says this, we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live with them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, what do you do? You come out from them. 
You come out from them and what? You maintain what? Separation. Okay, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. That's what God says to do with unbelievers. Now, of course, we balance that out. The scripture certainly gives us the great commission, which unfortunately is treated like the grand suggestion, right? We need to get out there. It's a commission. It's an order. Get out there to share the gospel to who? To the whole world, right? Get out there and teach them and to, to make them disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. Okay, so we need to witness to people, right? Because we got the truth. As Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news, right? How are they going to know if there's nobody to tell them, he says, right? Then that's just common sense. We got to witness to people. But that's not what he's talking about here. Again, it's that word yoked. Okay, we love them. We, we, we love enough to tell them the truth. We love enough to tell them the truth that what you're believing is false. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to beat them over the head. But they need to know that they're on the wrong way and that there is only one way, and that's through Jesus. So when we do encounter them, it's with a mindset, not yoking, right? It is, I'm here to witness to you and warn you in love that you're on a path that's leading to hell. And here's the good news. Here's the only path that gets you out of this mess, right? So that's what our relationships should be, right? Now, if you want to add to that, uh, like, hey, if you're, as Jesus said, if, if you're, uh, somebody's hungry, you, you hungry, hey, I'll feed you, I'll, I'll, hey, uh, Muslim, you need a cheeseburger, I'll get you a cheeseburger, right? Hey, I see a guy with a flat tire on the side of the road, and, and uh, he's a new ager, hey, I'll help you with your flat tire, you know, in Christ's name, and, and, you know, you need some clothes, right, some clothes, hey, we'll help you out, I'm not against that, what? but what's the premise? I just help that flat tire and leave. No, that flat tire, that act of kindness is an opportunity for me to what? Hey, you know, and, and, you know, people, oh, thank you so much. Hey, don't thank me. Thank Jesus, because Jesus, you, you use those as an opportunity to share the gospel, right? But he says, don't be yoked. Yoked is basically, you're developing this relationship. It has nothing to do with the gospel. You're not pointing out that their path is leading to hell. You're not telling them the exclusive message. I didn't make it up. Jesus did, that he's the only way to heaven. You're not even doing that. It's just, come on, let's work together over this great, that's yoking. And the scripture is very clear, okay? You do not want to do that. The word yoke literally means to be bound together with or to have fellowship with, okay? And so why does God have such strong words why we shouldn't do that? Yes, witness, but don't bind yourself together with him. Don't have fellowship with him. Well, it's because it's worse than oil and water. It does not uh, mix. It can't mix. Why? Because you cannot mix a lie. Their belief system is a lie. Who's the father of lies? Who, John 8, we already saw that. Who's, uh, Satan is the answer. Who's the murderer has been one from the beginning? Satan, same passage, John chapter 8, straight from Jesus. You can't mix God's holy truth and certainly the holy truth that Jesus is the only way with a lie that their way is an alternate way. There is no alternate way, right? And that their belief system, you can't mix that together. He says you cannot do that. Eternity is on the line. And that's why he begins to call this out. You can't get to the stage where now you're starting to blend Satan's lies with God's truth. It can't work. It won't work, right? Because eternity is on the line. God takes it serious. Did you realize this? I've said this statement before. It's not my statement. I've heard it many years ago. But one person said, listen, I'd rather have you hate my guts and go to heaven than for me to just love and tolerate, never mention Jesus, and you go to hell. What kind of a friend? I don't want that kind of, that's not a friend. Is that really loving? I was like, I said, no, don't do that. Witness to them, right? Share the truth. This is serious. They're following a false path. They're going to hell. You, what? 
Use that flat tire as an opportunity. Bring them a sandwich. Do something. But share the gospel. But that's not what's going on today. And that's why Paul says, listen, those who would do that, what are you doing? What are you doing? Did somebody spray chicken juice on you? What are you doing? Right? Chrome translation. Right? Why do, what's he say? He, he goes into this long dichotomy. He points, he doesn't just say one thing. Notice how many different ways he's trying to get. Have you ever had your parent do that? It's like, okay, they told you you did something wrong. Right? But that wasn't good enough. Then they got to tell you why you did it wrong from this angle. Right? And then you think, no, they're not done there. Then they're going to come over here and say, well, and this is another reason why. And then there's this one. It's like, I got it, I'm wrong. Right? And I see this in the same passage here. God says, listen, listen. The first one he says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Right? I should get your attention right there. But oh, no, let's make sure you get this point. You know, from God, our heavenly parent. What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Okay, let me break it down to you in the vernacular, what's going on even in the church today. How can we really get along, yoked? How can we really get along with those who believe that we ourselves are gods or that we will burn in a mythical place called purgatory where we purge away our sins in order to get to heaven, which is denying the cross? How can we get, how can, what? How can we join hands with those who would have you and I believe that sin is an illusion? Or that hell is only make-believe and that heaven for some men will be to endlessly satisfy their lusts with as many virgins as they want, which only happens after you kill a bunch of people. Islam, Muslim, jihad, right? That's right. How do you join hands with that? How can you have, quote, unity with those who are claiming to be Christians yet state you have to keep the sacraments in order to be saved, which is another denial of the cross of Christ, or that Satan doesn't exist, or Christ's work on the cross is not secure? How can you have fellowship with those who would have you and I believe that Jesus is not God, he's merely the archangel Michael, or worse yet, as the Mormons teach, that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer? How do you get along? How do you join hands? How do you have this unity? How do you have fellowship? How, do you, how can you yoke yourself up with that, Paul says? What are you doing? Come out. Get out of that. Be separate. All that stuff pollutes, and it's a false path that leads people to hell. You've got the truth, and you're responsible, Christian, for letting them know that in love. Don't do it. Do not be yoked with unbelief. Now, are you getting a flavor of the clear charge from God as Christians, our responsibility, dealing with other people on the planet? Yes, we witness to them, but you don't go in there and start blending them. And you don't sit there and go and work on projects together, and it's nothing about Jesus. I won't say what church it is. It was a family member, church they were going to, and uh, they stopped going to it because basically what they found out after a while was all these programs that they're doing out in the community, hey, let's go f- help the homeless, or let's go you know, feed these people, or, or let's go work on this project to help build this structure, whatever. Okay, every single thing that they did out in the community, not once did they ever share the gospel. In fact, they had no uh, point of sharing the gospel. In fact, when they were confronted with, hey, h- uh, why aren't you sharing the gospel? Well, we just want to show them Christ's love. Well, it's good that you're doing that, but what's the premise of even doing these things? It's to share with them Christ's love, that guess what? I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're going down a false path that leads to hell. Jesus is the only way. It's what was called a social gospel is what's happening. It's coming back in the church. The social gospel, which is not the gospel. It's just doing good stuff. And then we'll work with other religions to do good stuff. That's not sharing the gospel, right? And uh, that's what's coming back today. With this ecumenical movement, God says, come out from monk that baloney, be ye separate. 
Now, we're going to take a look at some of the evidence. Is that really in place? Because remember, I said all that to get to this. Revelation 17, what's it got to take for that to come to pass? Are we getting close to that fulfillment during the seven-year tribulation? Okay. Number one, you need that religious figure. I think that's been established. Okay. Easily. Number two, you need this pluralistic movement where people are violating the scripture, even those who profess to be Christians, and they just have this attitude, let's all get along, let's all work together on these projects. We're not talking about Jesus, we're not sharing the gospel, we went over the line and we're yoking each other. We're getting intoxicated with this woman, this one world religion's message, just love and tolerate, and that's what's going to bring peace to the planet. We're putting our hope in that, not Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when he comes back. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that evidence, and that's right, it's time for the board to go away. Thank you, Bobby, for the exciting board music. Give her Bobby, he's bored tonight, and uh, hopefully not with the study. Yeah, he stays bored. But uh, let's take a look at some of that evidence tonight. First of all, we're going to see some pluralism over in Europe, all right? And uh, in Berlin, they right now, and this is all taking place right now as we sit here in the sanctuary, all right? Is our world being... Sucked up into this, intoxicated, we all just got to get along, and specifically, let's all kind of tuck ourselves under the Vatican while we're at it, okay? Pluralism, in Berlin, they have created what's called the House of One at a cost of $60 million. Why? Because that is to be used for Christians, Muslims, and Jews to pray under one roof, okay? In Berlin, Pastor Gregor Holberg says, quote, from the beginning, we wanted it to be an interreligious project, okay? What's that buzzword? Interfaith, interreligion, right? It's one world religion. When you see that term, that's what those terms mean, interfaith, okay? Not a place built by Christians in which Jews and Muslims would be added, but a place for all three religions to have equal prayer space on the same floor with each floor leaving a common room where the different religions would be able to converse. Here's the promo video. They're very excited about that, right? It's happening before our eyes in Europe. Let's take a look. We have inherited a large house, a great world house, said Martin Luther King. We all inhabit this world house, our earth. We see that the world is growing together and that we have to learn to live with each other. Increasingly, religions are colliding as strangers, as friends, often also as rivals or enemies. For this reason, Jews, Christians and Muslims have come together in Berlin to dare to attempt something new. We want to build a completely new sacred building, a synagogue, a church and a mosque under the same roof and at its center a meeting place. The House of One. It shall be located in the heart of Berlin, in the place where the city was founded 800 years ago. It shall be a unique, peaceful place for encounters, meetings, and exchanges between people from different religions, and also for those who are removed from religion. Everyone is invited to come. Every interest, every question, every support is welcome. With every peaceful dialogue and every good wish, the cloud of blessing will grow. One earth, one mankind, one home. The house of one. Really? One world religion happening in Europe. Some people say, I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord, but some people say, you know, the seven-year tribulation starts with uh, Revelation 6-1, but also Daniel 9-27, the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with the people of Israel. Some people say that maybe some of the card uh, to get the Israel to work with this treaty is the promise of a new temple, which they want to build. Okay. Now, as we saw before, some of the verbiage behind the scenes with the behavior of the Pope 
uh, and the Vatican is they're vying over control over Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Some of the verbiage that's out there is uh, that they're saying, and again, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, saying that uh, what the Vatican wants to do is to build there in Jerusalem a universal temple for the major religions to worship at, just kind of like that. And then you put yourself into the seven-year tribulation. Halfway into that, the uh, Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt uh, temple, and he declares himself to be God. Maybe it'll be more of kind of a one-worldy temple with the Jewish people, of course, right? But maybe it'll be more than that. So it's very, very interesting what we're seeing take place before our eyes. How about uh, the youth? Now, I've said this so many times. I'm telling you, the younger generations are falling for this hook, line, and sinker because this is what they've been indoctrinated in from school from we up. We'll get to the schools in just a second, okay? And the millennials, especially, and, and beyond, this is all they've ever known. It's just globalism, Forget American sovereignty, all right? Forget Christianity. We're all one. They've been lied to. They've been brainwashed. And they're using the energy of the youth. Remember the days of youth when you had lots of energy to do stuff, right? And now it's just kind of... Dr- <laughs> yeah, right? Well, they're using the energy of the youth to steer them to push for this one world religion. But let's take a look at some of that. With the help of the World Council of Churches. Well, that's got to be Christian. No, it's not. This is one of the biggest sewer pipes of this uh, ecumenical one world religion movement. World Council of Churches, a group of Christian, Muslim, and Jewish youths have now formed a multi-faith community to protect the earth, which they say is a concern for all faiths. Oh, so you're using this lie of global warming, but it's not called global warming anymore because you got caught with the scientific data showing that it wasn't warming. So what'd you do? You changed the terminology to climate change. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a scientist nor the son thereof, but I noticed that from today, from yesterday, the climate changed. Oh, no. And I have a feeling that tomorrow's going to change even more. <laughs> they changed that terminology because they got caught. Of course the climate change. Climate change is every day. But they picked an innocuous term that you can't catch them on. But the, that whole climate change issue, which used to be global warming, is the global excuse to grab all the global religions together. We have a global crisis. How are we going to fix the global problem? Let's get all the global religions together to make it happen. It's the excuse to blend them together, okay? And, of course, you've got to have somebody control it. wonder who that might be. So that's what they're doing. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. These are quotes from these people. Uh, Tariq Abdul Akbar, he's a 21-year-old Muslim, says, quote, people of all faiths must put aside their religious differences and come together to raise awareness about climate change, which affects all people, right? So what's being used as an excuse? It's a lie, but what's it being used as? It's being used to form a one-world religion, also a one-world religion. A government. Mark Edwards, he's a so-called Christian student from Sri Lanka. He says, the responsibility to respect creation is common to all faiths. Earth is a gift to us all, and we are responsible for its well-being. So we all got to work together. Let's yoke together, right? That's what they're saying. Uh, Liren uh, Alakumbra, a Jewish woman, said, quote, living in a multi-faith, oh, there's your buzzword again, multi-faith, multi-faith community is an eye-opener. Our visit to a synagogue, a church, and a mosque in Switzerland moved me so much that, quote, I realized that we all believe in God, and we're all part of humanity. Now, we're all part of humanity, I'll give you that, but you all don't believe in the same God. There's only one God, the biblical God. In fact, just because you believe in God, that's no shakes. James chapter 2 says what? Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. Right? So make sure you got the right one. Okay? But that's what they're saying. Right? That's the pluralism. Uh, how about America? Are we safe from that? Because this is going on over in Europe and stuff. Well, unfortunately, no. It's being everywhere. Even here in America, we have what's called the Tri-Faith Initiative. This is in the Bible Belt. This is in Nebraska. You know, I used to live in Nebraska myself. In, in Omaha, and it's combining Christians, Jews, and Muslims into a what? Interfaith. There's your buzzword again. Interfaith dialogue, as well as an interfaith facility. 
Okay? Uh, it's a multi-million, here's a picture of the, what they're proposing to do. It's a multi-million dollar effort to bring all three religions onto a 35-acre campus. Okay? Uh, the city's religious leaders say, quote, we want to form a relationship between all Jews, all Muslims, all Christians. It's an opportunity not only to learn to tolerate, there it is, tolerate different faiths, but to find ways to celebrate all we have in common and join with those who call God by different names. What do you have in common? Rhymes with nothing. Okay, uh, because Jesus is the only way. But that's the lie. We all got to, well, we all, we all say God. Well, so what? Which God? Your God? The environmental's God? The Hindu God? God's a generic term nowadays. It doesn't mean the Christian one and only God. Right? So they take these things. Oh, we all pray. Doesn't mean you're praying the same thing. Right? Okay, and on and on. That's how they seduce people into this stuff. Okay, but I told you the schools. Here's some actual examples right now happening across America. Colorado, in case you're not near Berlin or Omaha to get influenced by this baloney, students in Colorado right now in high school are being encouraged to recite a pledge in Arabic stating one nation under Allah. Right now in Colorado. How about New York? In New York, kids are now observing Muslim New Year holidays and possibly soon the Hindu festival Diwali, which is a festival of lights that uh, Hinduism uh, celebrates. supposed to be with the light and the darkness and all that stuff. Uh, ho- 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 wait a second here. Um, aren't we told as Christians separation of church and state? You can't have religion in schools. What's this? Oh, and it used to be called Christmas break. It's not called that anymore. What is it now? Winter break. Used to be called Easter break. Now what's it called? Spring break. So you ripped out the even Christian terminologies. Oh, but you bring these in and you call them by their actual names? Their version of separation of church and state is keep Christianity out. Everything else goes. Right? Is really what's going on. Uh, California. Uh, school kids in California right now are bowing down to the sun god as a part of the, quote, listen to this, liturgical ritual religious practices. Well, first of all, it's a violation of what you keep telling us. That's a religious practice. You're not supposed to have that in school. What are you doing? Right? But it means anything but Christianity. And it's aimed at having them, the kids, quote, become one with God through yoga. Now, here's what's irony, ironic. Our passage here in Corinthians says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Remember what the term yoga means? Yoked. You're yoking with the Hindu deities. Very interesting. The founder, Sonia Tudor-Jones, says she wants to, quote, spread the gospel, using our terms, spread the gospel of Ashtanga yoga uh, through the country and even internationally. And where's she getting to do it? In schools. I thought you're not supposed to do that. Right? Let's continue on. That's in schools. How about the government? Well, it wasn't that long ago, folks, if you recall in the news, the Dalai Lama was allowed to open Senate meetings with prayer. Senators bowed their heads in prayer as the Dalai Lama prayed, quote, with our thoughts, we make our world. First of all, it's God's world, and he makes it, okay? And he determines our reality, not us. You're not God, right? But that's happening in our own government. Speaking of government, uh, in uh, Congress, an interfaith, oh, there's your buzzword again, interfaith school for military chaplains has now been dedicated. Priests, rabbis, imams, and so-called Protestant ministers came together to dedicate themselves and the nation's first joint military multi-faith, there it is again, multi-faith education center. Now, if you want another place where this has been going on even longer than the military, hospitals. I've dealt with this when I was pastoring in California and New York, even here in Vegas. You want to go to one of the most difficult places to share the gospel? It's hospitals. When you go there, it is all this interfaith. It used to be a Christian chapel that they would have the families to go into, 
They'll still have, quote, chapels there, but it's not Christian anymore. If you even notice, they've ripped out even the Christian artwork. Used to have a stained glass window with a cross. There are no crosses, right? They just have this, like, fluffy flower-looking stainless glass thing or this, like, starburst or something. It's not a cross, right? It has a feeling of religion, but it's all religions. And a lot of the people I was instructed, which I did not follow, instructed that, you know, you can't be preachy and stuff, and you need to honor other people who have different beliefs. And we... Oh, well, right? But that's at hospitals are another big institute that's doing that. Uh, oh, and the uh, guy who's going to be leaving soon. Is there, is there dust in here? <laughs> he, what's he been doing the whole time he's been in office? He's going around the world saying what? We are no longer a Christian nation. We're a what? A pluralistic nation, right? We're a nation of Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians and Jews, and right? That's his whole message too, okay? And uh, is any wonder that we now have schools in America teaching our kids the Muslim religion? Now, we dealt with this back in our Islam study, okay? But here right now is also what kids in our schools today are being taught in school. They're learning to become a Muslim. Remember, you can't mention Christianity. You get in trouble if you bring a Bible to school. You can't preach about Jesus. You can't say the name of Jesus. You can't even pray. You get fired. If you're a school teacher or kids, you get expelled, etc. But you're learning to become a Muslim. This is going on right now. You're fasting. Kids in school are fasting from Ramadan. That's a part of their school curriculum. Uh, They're learning about Ramadan. They're learning the five pillars of Islam. Uh, They're memorizing verses of the Quran. And they're adopting a Muslim name. And I'm not making this up. You can check this out yourself. They're staging a jihad war against non-Muslims. That's their school exercise. You've got to be kidding me. Now, and as one guy, I like this quote, he says, apparently Obama has overlooked his Christian obligation and duty that he swore in public office to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America with his hand on the Christian Bible that states, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. Okay? But that's not the agenda. The agenda is to prepare this pluralistic mindset that can't we all just get along, even our own government. But hey, isn't the church holding strong? Well, as you can tell with my next slide, uh uh-uh, (laughs) no. All right, let's take a look at these examples. I blew through these a few weeks ago real quickly, but let's take our time to digest just a few examples of what's going on. The Global Faith Forum recently kicked off in Texas. This was a huge church in Texas. Hundreds of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, and atheists have convened at Northwoods Church in Texas in an effort to try to understand one another. That, to me, would be the shortest meeting ever. You are going to hell because Jesus is the only way. Questions? What, what, what do you mean? Try to understand. What's there to understand? How convoluted is this? Jesus, John 14, 6, I didn't say it, he did. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way to the Father. No one comes except through him. Are you believing that? No. Okay, then you need to. Lunch? What are you, what are you doing? What do you mean, understand? This is part, I'm telling you. Oh, they're witnessing. No, you're going over the line. You're starting that yoking thing. Representatives of Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Baha'i, Mormon, Sikh, Vedic, Druid, and Muslim beliefs in Sacramento read scriptures from each of their religious texts, including six verses from the Quran, calling for all faiths to live in harmony. Again and again, they utter the phrase, quote, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. No, let there be a one world religion on the planet. That's going to submit to the Vatican. And yeah, it is beginning with you. 
But this is where? Where is this taking place? Churches. So-called Christian churches are opening their doors. They're being yoked. They're going over the line. A Catholic bishop obviously is urging Christians to call God Allah because he believes it would ease the tensions between the religions. Now, now what? Allah, as we saw in great detail, eight weeks. Okay, we dealt with that study on uh, Islam, eight to studies there. Christians are now celebrating religious diversity. That's another buzzword, religious diverse. We're diverse Christians. They, they have another term for it we'll get to in a second. On Pentecost Sunday, Christian churches across the United States are dedicating their worship to celebration in our, what's the word? Interfaith world. They're called progressive Christians. <gasps> you guys aren't one of those old-fashioned traditionalists, are you? You're not one of those fundamentalist Christians, are you? Oh, you're not one of, oh, we're, you, we're progressive Christians, right? See, they change the terminology. No, you, you're, you're going apostate, right? You're going along with this intoxicating love and tolerate blending into this one religion. Progressive Christians thank God for, quote, religious diversity. Quote, we don't claim that our religion, this must be coming from Christians, we don't claim that our religion is superior to all others. You're right, we don't. But Jesus did. And you're a Christian, a Christian, a follower of Christ. How do you get around that? Scary, okay? We can grow closer to God and deeper in compassion, and we can understand our own traditions better through a greater awareness of the world's religions. It's sponsored by the Center for Progressive Christianity. Pluralism Sunday, that's what it's called, huh? That's the event, sign up for that, they say. We'll be promoted through churches, and participating churches will be profiled in publicity releases, creating an evangelism opportunity for your congregation. Evangelizing what? Not Jesus. But can't we all come... Get along. They're totally intoxicated. with The number of people looking at the Center for Progressive Christianity's website is topping 40,000 per month. We believe, quote, they say, Pluralism Sunday is an opportunity for progressive churches to reach some of the many people, listen, who are turned off by Christianity because of exclusivist claims some Christians make about it. <laughs> I didn't make it. Jesus did. He's the one that laid the hammer down. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through him. Excuse me, and that turns people, no, that shows people the way out. It's so twisted. It's so twisted, right? Uh, listen to these, these are some stats. Many born-again Christians, professing born-again Christians, listen, are now holding universalist views. In other words, it's working. It's seducing even the church. One in four born-again Christians believe that all people are eventually saved or accepted by God. One in four. You have 200 people show up on Sunday here. On average, how many are not believing the gospel? 50 of them, right? How can you be born again and say that Jesus is not the only way? I know that sampling said born again Christians, but I got a problem with that. What do you trust in it, right? It gets even worse. The similar portion, 26% said a person's religion doesn't matter because all faiths teach the same lessons. You wonder why we're going in extensive detail on Wednesday nights for how many months now and we ain't even getting close to being done? World religions, cults, and the alcohol. Why? Because that lie is one of the most popular lies seducing people even in the church. And what have we been seeing so far in our study? For people, now you guys know, for people to make the statement, don't you know that all religions are basically the same? That's one of the most ludicrous statements, right? And we're just still got a long ways to go. But yet it's seducing one-fourth, over one-fourth of professing Christians. And even higher percent, listen, 40%, so now you're getting to the halfway mark of Supposed born-again Christians said they believe Christians and Muslims worship the same God. 
This is in the church, not the world. This is the professing church sitting in pews every Sunday. And listen to this. Now, you're talking about where is it coming from? A lot of it's coming from, of course, the school, the indoctrination, just this wave of intoxication that's coming in, and the church is accepting. The church is not witnessing. The church is yoking. There's a major difference. We already saw that. But now it's rolling down from the top, from the leadership, from the seminaries. This is one seminary, so-called. Claremont School of Theology has launched a program to train future leaders for the church. Here's what they're training them in. Quote, not all Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe that their way is the only way. Uh, well, then you're certainly not a Christian. Oh, you can be a Jew because Jews don't believe Jesus. And, and Muslims, they don't believe. But you're not a Christian. How do you, how do you, what? It goes on to say this. Christians, Muslims, and Jews will now have the opportunity to take classes together. This is in a so-called seminary. Uh, to learn about each other's religious traditions, to study topics that deal specifically with interfaith issues. There's the word again. And to build bridges through coursework that assists them. Listen, Who? Our society's future religious leaders. So unless something turns around and we get serious about sharing the truth, frankly, revival, um, this is what's coming out into the church. You think it's bad now? These are the leaders now coming. to. These are the people coming to be your pastor. And they've been trained in this intoxicating lie. All religions are basically the same thing. It's coming. It's happening right before our very eyes. Not just individuals. Now they're attacking the leadership and the future leadership. They're ensuring that this is going to take, take place. Dozens of churches also now are promoting Islam from Denver to Boise to San Francisco, Honolulu. They're planning on sending a message, and I quote, both here at home and the Arab and Muslim world about our respect for Islam with a time to read the Quran during our worship services. The Interfaith Alliance of Human Rights First is calling on Christian clergy to read portions of the Quran during their services uh, Sunday. In fact, churches are now letting Muslims use their facilities. Heartsong Church in Memphis is allowing Muslims to hold Ramadan prayers in its building. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, now you're yoking. Right? You're not witnessing. You're actually letting them use your facilities. Now, when you let them use their facilities, you are helping them propagate what? Their belief. Again, you need a sandwich? You show up here, you need a sandwich? I'll give you a sandwich all day long. Got a flat tire? Hey, you got clothes? Need some clothes? Getting a little chilly out? Hey, man, we'll get you a jacket. But I cannot be a part of anything that helps you to propagate your lie that is leading people to hell. You you yoked. You're not witnessing. You yoked. You violated the scripture, right? Aldersgate United Methodist Church in, in Virginia allowed the Islamic Circle of North America to hold regular prayer meetings in its facility. Uh, But that's not all. We now have churches removing their crosses to become more inclusive. Here's one example. C3 Exchange, formerly known as Christ Community Church, and the so-called Reverend Ian Lawton, the uh, church's pastor, said the name change and removing the cross was designed to reflect the church's diverse members. Okay, quote, our community has really been open-minded for some years now, and we've had a number of Muslim people, Jewish people, Buddhist, atheists. We're not just, uh, we're just catching up to ourselves. We honor the cross, but listen, the cross is just one symbol of our community. Well, it's not a Christian community then. You're getting rid of it. Oh, and by the way, they were so excited about it, they videotaped it. This is scary. Watch them. They're excited about removing the cross from their structure. Here here it is.
just verified it this week. Somebody told me, so I went ahead and looked online. You're thinking, how can you, you sit there and you got rid of the Christian, you got rid of the cross and you change your name, Christian, whatever, to C3 Exchange. You know, what is that, some surfer bar or something? What? So what was C3? What is that? You compete with 3M to make the sticky notes? I mean, give me a break. Right, but you know what you're up, they're up to, right? Well, even here in uh, Las Vegas, uh, there used to be a church that we're all well, well aware of, one of the largest churches. Okay, large doesn't mean that you're necessarily good, but it's largest churches, if you will. Uh, anybody remember the name of that? Central Christian Church. You know what it is now? I just verified it again today. Central Church. Go online. It, they changed it. They removed Christian. Even here in Vegas... It's happening, folks, before our very eyes, okay? But uh, uh, then, of course, we saw, again, Kenneth Copeland. He piped in a private message from the Pope uh, to his so-called Protestant church, a Catholic bishop, Tony Palmer. He preached from the pulpit. And remember that video? I'm not going to share it again. We've seen it several times. Okay, Luther's protest is over. How about yours? As I stated before, if I piped in a private message from Pope Francis and allowed a Catholic bishop to get up here and say Luther's protest is over, how about yours? What should you do to me? Fire me on the spot, right? Fire me on the spot. Well, he's still in existence, Kenneth Copeland. He's not fired. Remember the congregation was, oh, yeah. After the guy made that statement, laughed. Because <laughs> he said, maybe we're all Catholics now. Remember that video? Right? Okay. Uh, but anyway, so that's, that's going on. Oh, by the way, the Catholic guy made it to the pulpit. Hmm. What's interesting about that, you guys remember, remember this one? Remember the Jesuit extreme oath of induction? And I quote, listen to this. Heretofore, you have been taught to act as the dissembler and to be a spy. Among the reformers, to be a reformer. Uh, among other Protestants, generally to be a Protestant, obtaining their confidence to seek to even preach from their pulpits. A direct quote from that thing. That you might be enabled to gather together all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier of the Pope. Already happening. Um, that. Then, of course, we saw the charismatic movement is getting into this. They're meeting with the Pope. They're chumming up with him, Pope Francis, giving him a high five, saying, hey, can't we all get along? We're all Protestants now. No, we're not. Okay, so the charismatic movement is falling for that, not just the false teacher, uh, Kenneth Copeland. Beth Moore, we talked about this before in our final countdown studies. She's hanging out with these same charismatics. So guess what she's starting to do? Have you noticed she's starting to speak very charismatic-y? She's not saying as much the Bible says this. She's like, the Lord told me. I had a vision or a dream in which God communicated to me. No, now you're getting off the scripture. Remember we dealt with that in our new age and said, don't you, mm -mm, don't go that route. But she's also making comments now, hanging out with these same folks, that Catholics are our, quote, brothers and sisters. Beth Moore. Better pay attention, folks. It's spilling down from the top. Joel Osteen says he loves the Pope. He's glad that he, the Pope, has made the, quote, church more inclusive to take everybody in, and quote. That resonates with him. In other words, that's what he's doing too, right? Then, of course, we saw with the big bombshell, Rick Warren. He also loves the Pope. He uses words on tape. We, I'm not going to show you the video again, but uh, he's used our Pope, us Christians. He's got a picture of the Pope on his wall in his office as a source of inspiration and his favorite show that he winds down with his wife with, he quoted, after a stressful day, is Mother Angelica and the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, uh, a Catholic shows with mindless, repeated Catholic prayers, reciting the rosary over and over again. Now, the question is, uh, so-called Protestant pastors are also now, also now, 
converting, quote, back to Roman Catholicism, saying we, us, need to go back to the sacraments, the Mother Church, and Mary. So now this leadership is saying, we were wrong, Protestants, hence Luther's protest is over. And it's one thing for them to get behind a pulpit and make that statement, and be allowed to make that statement. But so-called pastors are forsaking Protestantism, and they're becoming Catholics. Now, believe it or not, and my theory is this, the scripture has an answer for that. Well, how could they do that? Well, 1 John 2, 19, I think he has the answer. They went out from us, but they didn't what? They didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going to show that none of them belong to us. How could you turn from Jesus, the one and only way, and then say, nope, I'm going to go along with this system that is false, that is a system of works? How can you do that? The scripture says that when we're born again, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, in Ephesians for our day of redemption. We are secure. We're locked in. The word that's used there, the scripture, his pledge, God's pledge, is our bone in the Greek. It's God's engagement ring. God gives us his spirit. When you're truly born again, bang, praise God, God seals you. You're going to get there. So if somebody says they were a Christian, even from behind the pulpit, and then someday they say, nope, I'm going to go follow a false religion, Whatever it is, what's the scripture say? And isn't that a bombshell? Think about that. How many people right now are behind the pulpit? How many people are serving on church boards? How many people are teaching Sunday school classes and they're not even born again? And you wonder why the church today is so powerless and ineffective. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the reason why the church in America is so ineffective and powerless by and large is because the church is infiltrated with so many unbelievers who profess to be so, but they're not. And then they get into positions of leadership, and it goes downhill uh, from there. So what's this all doing? This is the wave of intoxication. This is the, oh, oh, I just love and just tolerate. Can we work together? You went over the line. You're not witnessing. You're yoking together. You're even removing the cross. You're even changing your name. You're not witnessing you're, you're allowing them to propagate their beliefs in your facility. You're, you're yoking, not witnessing. So my question is, how are we doing as Southern Baptists? Dun, dun, dun. Well, this is a bombshell. I couldn't believe this one. Russell Moore. Now, we talk about Russell Moore. Russell Moore is the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. We already called him out on the carpet in our final countdown study a couple years ago when he went over to the Vatican, made some big waves, stirred up some feathers, rightly so. He went over there for their marriage and family conference. Why did you do that? What are they going to teach you about marriage and family that we don't have in the scripture already? And why are you yoking? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Were you handing out tracts? I don't think so. so. So that was a big concern already. But now... This one is all over the papers. Please check it out for yourself. He is now, the Ethics and Religious uh, Liberty Commission is supporting the building of a mosque in New Jersey. Okay? And it gets worse. And so, in my own investigation. When challenged on it, he has said this uh, statement. Quote, as Baptists, we are about soul freedom. And number two, quote, don't worry, we didn't spend any of the church's money. I actually personally called when I found this out the ethics committee, myself, as a Southern Baptist pastor, and I wanted an answer, myself. I don't want to just read on articles on the internet. I want an answer. After almost four weeks, I finally got a reply, calling every week, 
Okay, I get it, we're busy, I'm busy too. But the reply is basically this. As Baptists, we're about soul freedom, that term keeps coming up, soul freedom. And two, don't worry, we didn't spend any of the church's money. I'm sorry, with all due respect, that's a lie. You spent your time investigating this, working on this, supporting this, because they filed a brief and joined other folks, I'll get to that in a second, so that to support the building of this Muslim mosque. So you spent your time, you spent your staff's time, right? And you also spent the legal account. Who's paying your salary? We are. So don't say you didn't spend any church's money, right? That's a lie, with all due respect. Number two, soul freedom, okay? There was, this actually came up at the last uh, international, uh, national convention, okay? And they were, he was called on the carpet from the floor from other pastors, right? Two motions were put on the floor, number one, for him to be fired. And they immediately squelched it and says, you're out of order. Another guy got up, a guy named John Walford, who I spoke to directly. I traced him down, talked to him on the phone. And he called him on, and he said this. He said, do you mean to tell me, Mr. Moore, that Jesus would support Baal worshipers building a Baal temple? He didn't answer the question, Russell Moore, and that's when he went on to this, where as Baptists, we're about soul freedom. Now, soul freedom, what he means by that term in his own verbiage, is we are about making sure that all religions have the freedom to worship as they see fit here in America. As a Baptist, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. And if I want to work towards soul freedom, then I work at witnessing to them about Jesus being the only way. That's the only way their souls are going to be free. Saying that I need to work in this political, ecumenical endeavor for everyone to get along and have the right to worship in America... That's not what we're about. But that's what's being used with that term. Now, let me flip it around. I make an announcement this week, okay, how would this go? Hey, Sunrise, just want to let you know that, uh, man, I've been really busy and uh, a lot of neat projects being working on. And, uh, you know, of course, as, you know, as Christians, you know, as Baptists, you know, we're all about soul freedom. And uh, so I've been working my tail off uh, with a bunch of other groups here, uh, different religions here in, in Las Vegas. And uh, we are, in fact, one of the religions, uh, the Muslims, they, they, they were trying to build a mosque over here. Well, hey, we got together with our legal team and a bunch of other religions and their legal team, and we filed uh, with Las Vegas City here uh, a legal brief that they can't do that. So we're going in with that. All by, oh, oh, by the way, don't worry. I didn't spend any of the church's money. If I said that, what should you do? Why is this being allowed? It gets even worse. Now, I said they worked with that. Remember, it says don't be yoked in the scripture? Here it is. He partnered with 20 faith-based organizations, the Ethics Committee, filed an amicus brief arguing that the mosque project be approved. Right? Here it is, the ones that he yoked with. Quote, the American Association of Jewish Lawyers and Jurists, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, the Center for Islam and Religious Freedom, Interfaith, there's this, Coalition on Mosque, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So now our mission boards put their hat in the ring on that. That's where the money's going with this kind of behavior. I got a problem with that. International Society for Krishna Consciousness, Muslim, these are the things he went with and filed and joined together. 
uh, Muslim Bar Association of New York, the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association, National Association of Evangelicals, New Jersey Muslim Lawyers Association, Queens Federation of Churches, Sikh American Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Sikh Coalition, the South Asian Bar Association of New Jersey, the South Asian Bar Association of New York, and the Unitarians, the Unitarian Universalist Legislative Ministry of New Jersey. You're not witnessing, you're yoking, right? Now again, you need a sandwich, Muslim person? I'll give you a sandwich, right? You got a flat tire? I'll give you a flat tire, right? I'll fix it, give you a new tire, pump it up, do whatever, give you a ride to these, whatever. You need some clothes? I'll give you some clothes. But each one of those opportunities, you know what I'm doing? I'm witnessing to you, right? I cannot have any part of you building a structure that is your temple that what? allows you to learn, to propagate, to disperse and encourage and congregate what? Your false teaching that is denying Christ. I cannot have any of that. That's going over the line. This is not witnessing. This is not, quote, soul freedom. This is yoking. And this is a violation of Scripture. And it turns out it gets even worse. And this is what I learned when I began my own investigation. The Ethics Religious Liberty Commission is a member of the United Nations. Now it starts to make sense, doesn't it? Why are you pushing this? Even in the Southern Baptist, why? Because they are. This was instituted, I learned, from the previous president, a guy named Richard Land. Okay? He resigned due to some scandalous behavior. Now Russell Moore is the guy who replaced him. Right? That's where he comes in. The problem is being an NGO, non-governmental organization, an NGO of the United Nations, one has to, quote, pledge to uphold the UN agenda, which is not only to create a one-world government, but a one-world religion. And this is straight from the UN's website. I went to the UN. I didn't want to, with the article. Went to the UN. The Ethics Committee is listed as an NGO at the UN. The, the, also on the UN's website, they list, here are the responsibilities of those who are NGOs of the UN. And I quote, The aims and purposes of the organization shall be in conformity with the spirit, purposes, and principles of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. What's it say? You have to agree to this to be a part of this. You have to support the spirit, purposes, and principles of the Charter of the United Nations. Number two, the organization shall undertake to support the work of the United Nations. And number three, they must demonstrate that their program of work is a direct relevance to the aims and purposes of the United Nations. I wonder if them working together with 20 other faith groups supporting a Muslim mosque for all religions to have a right that sounds like something the United Nations would do, wouldn't it? That would be relevant to their purpose and aims, but not the scripture. You wonder why this is being pushed. You trace the trail, okay? Oh, and by the way, speaking of the United Nations, I gave you a little hint this week, or last week. Guess who the new guy is? Starting this month. The ninth one? It's this guy. A secretary general of the United Nations. The new one is going to Ban Ki-moon. He's being replaced. Will be Antonio Guterres. He's not only a socialist. Uh-oh. Socialist? Who was the socialist before? National socialist? Hitler? Right? So he also served as the president of the Socialist International, but guess what he is? He's a Catholic. This is the guy who's now going to be heading the United Nations. That's really weird. So you stir all this together. Here's my question. When push comes to shove and the Pope, some world religious figure, Revelation 17, says we need to combine all of our religions together and work with a beast a one-world government, an antichrist, savior figure, do you think the current leadership of the world, including the United Nations, 
but the new guy's now a Catholic, or even the so-called current leadership of the Protestant church, even our own denomination. Do you think they're going to resist? I don't think so. To me, it's like the pieces are being set up. Now, we don't know the day nor the hour. We know where this is leading to, Revelation 17. Those are events that take place during the seven-year tribulation, right? And man, if the church is now into this degree with their hands into this yoking, into this global religion, and they're caught up in this pluralistic movement, folks, it's got to be getting close for Christ to come back and get us. Isn't this wild? The days that we live in? Absolutely awesome, okay? And it shouldn't be scary. It should be motivating. Okay, Jesus is coming back to get us. Now, what we're going to do, unfortunately, uh, or, or fortunately, next week, hopefully we'll knock out the final three and then finally get back to our workbook. Uh, but I wanted to give you this one from the scripture about Revelation 17. We're going to take a look at the woman figure. Well, who is behind? There's, there's no woman figure in Catholicism, is there? Yeah, uh, we'll take a look at that and how the world's being swept into that as well from other arenas. Then we're going to take a look at an Antichrist figure. There's no... Political uh, figures on the scene, I'm not saying there are the actual Antichrist, but we don't see any evidence of political leaders on the scene literally being called God and being worshipped as a God, do we? And we don't see any signs of a global governance that will become the arm, the strong arm to punish people who don't go along with this. Yeah, we'll deal with that, Lord Will, next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you, one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name 
in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened 
is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.